Welcome to Nourishing Matters to Chew On, a podcast that takes its cue from big picture, healthy and sustainable food system agendas and digs in to explore their implications and how they are landing here in Australia. I'm Anthea Fawcett, founder of Foodswell, sustainability advocate and a farmer's daughter from New South Wales. Join me on a weekly journey across our food and agricultural landscapes as I speak with inspiring people who are tackling parts of the wicked puzzle to enable change toward a healthier, more sustainable, fair and resilient food system and environment. I acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connections to land, water and culture. I acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. Various friends and listeners have suggested that they'd like to hear a bit of a wrap of Season 1 of Nourishing Matters, which is the first 20 episodes that wrapped up in late May. So that's what I'm doing in this episode. If you're listening in, you're likely already aware of or interested in the issues, big challenges that are facing our health, our food systems and our environments that, as we know, have been so challenged of late by drought, bushfires, floods and now the dreaded mouse plague and certainly sending out love and best wishes to everyone being affected by that. It really does seem a crazy precarious time, one with COVID and more, that many people are thinking of and referring to the 2020s as the decade of consequence on climate, the environment, reconciliation and for our food, agricultural landscape and economic futures. It really does seem time for substantive action and change toward more regenerative ways of living and being in and with this beautiful place we call home. And our food and agricultural systems are pretty much key in all of this and to how we can live well and care for people, our communities, our lands, waters and biodiversity. Before digging into range across and provide something of a snapshot of nourishing matters so far, a quick look back. Why did I and my fellow Foodswell buddies and colleagues journey on nourishing matters. All of us, I guess, are in one way or another working in sustainability, reconciliation, agriculture and environment and or health-related fields. And we've all known each other for a long time. We're all really concerned about climate change and about helping to create opportunities for systems thinking and linked up action uh, for healthy people, places and landscapes. Many of us have worked together on different projects over the years, from the early days of the Remote Indigenous Gardens Network that I established in 2009, through to Foodswell, which is a health promotion charity that we established in 2013, to support greater food security and food sovereignty, uh, thought work and practical projects, and with a spirit of two-way collaboration and working and walking together. By creating Nourishing Matters, I guess we wanted to share our ideas and experiences and dig into some conversations with other community people, researchers, experts, everyday people, farmers, who, who, who too also want to see change and be a part of that change. Over the years, my day jobs, if you like, have pretty much been in sustainable design, urban planning, climate policy, advocacy and corporate affairs type roles. I've, I guess I've worked in the climate space in one way or another since the mid-1990s. So when Marion Wilkinson's book, The Carbon Club, came out in 2020, it was just all too familiar and very deja vu. So back in mid-2019, I was working with one of Australia's leading large-scale dispatchable renewable energy technology development companies. If you Google, I'm sure you'll find their name. We'd just received two major international technology awards 
which was a really big deal. And um, notwithstanding these achievements, the government agencies and groups responsible for supporting the research and development work that that company had worked on for a number of years were really, really wary or about publicly um, celebrating or, or sharing these achievements, uh, lest their political minders and ministers took offence. Anyway, I'm glad to say that company is forging ahead from strength to strength. It was pretty frustrating if you're the comms girl. And so I became aware of these really interesting big developments happening in the healthy and sustainable food space. 2019 saw the release of some really groundbreaking international reports that from where I sat working in the renewable energy space, really upped the ante and changed my focus back to food on the need for pretty radical uh, paradigm change in our food systems. Uh, these big international reports have and are continuing to set big change agendas for food, agriculture and climate action. Yes, we need to dramatically change world energy systems if we're going to stay under two degrees, but these reports really shone the light on and up the ante about the other big arena for change, and that is food. These reports were prepared by amazing interdisciplinary teams of experts from around the world. Yes, they were scholarly and very detailed and technical, but they also had some really good um, summaries and uh, popular formats that, that really... Uh, sort of hit the airwaves and the media to reach out to everyday people and really did strike a chord with everyday people. You might ask yourself when you first heard about flexitarian diets, the push to eat less red meat, rainbow diets, the somewhat controversial reference diet, radical calls for much greater food productivity, but doing it all within the limits of planetary boundaries and with no more land clearing or biodiversity loss. And of course, I think all of us have heard in one way or another of the big, big challenge to reduce and eliminate food waste, which as it currently stands internationally, if it were a country, would represent uh, in terms of greenhouse gas emissions, it would be a country just behind China and the USA. The reports I'm referring to are the big IPCC report on land use, agriculture and climate change that uh, really upped the stakes. The Eat Lancet, Food in the Anthropocene report that came out in early 2019 and the global syndemic which was a really uh, fascinating study and series of recommendations all about the triple challenge of obesity undernutrition and climate change and the, the incredible opportunities for win-wins if you sort of intervened in the system on any of those fronts how they would impact across the other challenges so in many ways, Nourishing Matters has taken its cue from these reports and the various issues that they highlight for action. And we try to dig into what the issues mean in context here. And of course, 2020 has been quite a year with COVID and more. Food producers, farmers of various scales are continuing to face multiple pressures on many fronts, whether it's land use conflict with mining and or the gas load recovery, and now with those dreaded mice that are impacting on livelihoods incomes and mental health. Our food systems are big, they're messy and wicked, and they're certainly ripe for change. And there are so many amazing people, individuals, community and industry organisations who are all leaning in to the challenge and to create change. Pretty exciting, really. I sat in on a CSIRO convened discussion that was all part of the United Nations Food Systems Sum Food Systems Summit Member State Dialogues. Yep, that's another big process that's currently underway that will lead into the summit reporting in New York in September of this year. It was a great dialogue and discussion and it was all about achieving healthy diets from sustainable food systems by 2030, what key science, innovation and actions are needed in Australia. It was um, quite, you know, a real privilege to be part of that conversation and to see the many voices, incredible uh, experience and knowledge in the room, uh, several of whom are people who have been guests on Nourishing Matters and who I'd, who I'd love to speak with again at some stage. So really, I'm just giving a heads up 
to honour and acknowledge the many and diverse other organisations and people who are doing really great work and leading change in different parts of the food system uh, that is wicked and that we're all a part of. So back to Nourishing Matters and what we've been offering into and sharing into this complex space. We kicked off uh, before Christmas in 2020 with three scene-setting episodes. To help set the big picture scene in the Australian context, first up was my conversation with uh, Dr. Anna Greta Hunter, who is chair of the Commission for the Human Future, who had recently re- released a report called The Need for Strategic Food Policy in Australia. As Anna Greta said in that wide-ranging discussion, the really powerful messages from the report is the interdependence and interrelated issues here. You can't really address food security without considering climate change, without considering the environment, without considering biodiversity loss, water resilience, and really going back to core human elements of human behaviour. That report was prepared and released in 2020 and was particularly directed toward government and policymakers. And of course, the issues that it raised in it, I think six key themes, are issues that recur in many sustainable food conversations, such as the dialogue that CSIRO hosted, during which many participants acknowledged and called for a national food policy. To also help set the scene, I was really lucky to get to speak with Dr Mario Herrero, who is the Chief Research Scientist at CSIRO Agriculture and Food, and his colleague, Dr Jessica Bogart, who's part of his team, and she's a nutritionist. And we spoke about the Great Food Transformation, which is a line from the Lancet, the Eat Lancet report. Um, but it was a really great conversation about the global syndemic and food in the Anthropocene and digging into what the issues and the res- issues are and what the research was and how both Jessica and Mario saw those issues uh, relating in context in Australia. Uh, so I think the, the value add from this particular commission was uh, re- really in this recognition that obesity is very closely linked to uh, two other major global challenges, these being undernutrition and climate change. Um, so the report describes these three uh, big global challenges as the global syndemic. That was a great episode. Also in those first three scene-setting episodes was a really fun and stimulating conversation with Dr Philip Baker, who's from Deakin University, in which we spoke about how junk food is not only junking our health but also junking the planet, and that was going to the core of the big challenges around palm oil and soy production that are really driving rainforest deforestation, and that's such a big part of big food ultra-processed foods and, and nutrition transitions that is really driving a lot of environmental destruction as diets change. Unprocess your diet as much as you can or process process your diet as far as it means, you know, cooking your food, um, but don't ultra-process your diet. It's a really stimulating, interesting episode. Phil was a great guest and it was a really timely conversation because it coincided with the release of David Attenborough's really important film, A Life on Our Planet, which is so moving and such a call to action. I personally also really loved how this episode dug into what's called the NOVA system of rating foods and Category 4 ultra-processed foods, which are almost like industrial products and chemicals that your grandmother would definitely not recognise nor likely choose to eat. Um, Something I'd first read about in uh, Simpson and Robenheimer's wonderful book, Eat Like the Animals. And here's what my friend Talia, who's listened to all episodes, uh, had to say about Episode 3. Episode three, um, I remember from the beginning, it was really drew me into the podcast. Uh, I found Dr. Philip Baker um, incredibly eloquent, well-versed and passionate while talking about why it's so important that we continuously work to unprocess our diets. Uh, he had a bigger, more holistic understanding and view of the particular inadequacies and sometimes evilness that pervades behind conglomerate multinational companies 
and their strategic marketing of overprocessed foods. He was able to speak from a scientific but also a relatable background as he covered his love for surfing and the oceans and his therefore personal interest in reducing plastic consumption as well. After a summer break, we were back with specific episodes that looked at particular issues or projects creating change on the ground. First up was a really lovely conversation with Dr. Angela Patterson, all about the native grains from paddock to plate research project that she and her colleagues uh, released a major report on during NADOC week in late 2020. You know, as a society, we, we, we pay money to, for the infrastructure around locking up certain amounts of land. But what if our food-producing ecosystems could be interspersed with preservation of native ecosystems? Wouldn't it be cool? You might be familiar with Bruce Pascoe's great book, Dark Emu. It's only seven years since that book came out and its impact has been huge. What's so exciting about the work that Angela, her colleagues and Aboriginal people from across northwestern New South Wales have been doing in this project is bringing that knowledge together in context, in the modern context for food production. I so enjoyed speaking with Angela. She's working on country, which is near where I grew up, so uh, I feel particularly close to this episode. But but what's just so exciting is that she and her colleagues are looking into the nutrition profiles, what, what different grains, herbs and shrubs can produce what in what different mixed and monocultural contexts, what Angela calls uh, the factory or the pantry models. And it's just a really inspiring powerful story that is just going to change the way we see native grains in the landscape in an, and in our food industries into the future. Well, I'm certainly hoping it will. Another great thing about this research is that it taps into one of the key themes that um, are essential to healthy and sustainable food, which is about the quest for greater agrobiodiversity. Industrial food systems rely on too few crops and the quest for greater agrobiodiversity in our food systems for health, culture, food sovereignty and for environmental benefits is a really, really key challenge that many people are working on. And uh, the work that Angela and her colleagues are doing in the Native Grains from Paddock to Plate research project, which is ongoing, uh, is just a really exciting key part of that in the Australian landscape. Another episode that also looks at agrobiodiversity, but through a different lens and operates in a different way, is a really lovely conversation that I had with Carolyn Hingston, Bruce French and, and Dr. John McPhee, who are from uh, Food Plant Solutions and Food Plants International, a small NGO that is based in uh, northern Tasmania but really packs a punch internationally and increasingly here in many rural and remote communities across Australia. This episode is all about Bruce's amazing voluntary mission and pioneering work to create a free database of over 30,000 edible plants uh, to help tackle malnutrition and hunger, something he started over 40 years ago when working in Papua New Guinea and something that Food Plant Solutions now uses that database to create all sorts of incredible resources for 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 women, for communities, for often quite disadvantaged communities in Asia, Africa and elsewhere, but increasingly in Australia. Uh, trying to go back and rediscover all the plants in the world. And I think I'm getting very, very close to having every edible plant in the world listed. Our history is foraging. So we need to go back and rediscover all these traditional plants and then work with them. It's a really inspiring story uh, about uh, recapturing and sharing very place and people-specific plant knowledge 
and not only providing food plant knowledge but really helping provide really detailed nutritional information about what to eat and why and how to eat all of the plant. So it's sort of tackling waste on a on another interesting level. Waste and the idea of looking at what is waste and wasteful through different lenses whether of nutrient and nutrition waste, of resource waste, or the waste that's done to our health and to landscapes, or the wasteful use of human edible grains to feed feedlot-fed cattle, high greenhouse impact, is a theme and idea that features in various episodes in Season 1. As Philip Baker suggested, there's an incredible amount of waste, nutrient waste, that's done to whole foods in the name of uh, ultra-processed foods. Increasingly, food security is not just about calories but about nutrition security and making the most of the food that our landscapes and waters make possible. Does it simply make sense to use large tracts of land and resources to grow grain to feed animals in feedlots when grass-fed ruminants can and do contribute incredibly to regenerative and sustainable uh, systems for the biota of soils and ecosystems? Listen in to episodes six and seven with Professor Robin Alders and Matthew Evans, author of On Eating Meat, to enjoy digging into these ideas and more about the value of animals in the landscape for food and for biodiversity in healthy ecosystems. I love Matthew's contribution that however you eat, whether as a vegan, vegetarian or omnivore, something dies in your name and we need to have a more holistic sense of what's involved. I really hope you'll listen into these episodes, ones that feed into, if you like, further conversations on the joys and benefits of eating nose to tail, grandmother's wisdom, or making the most of the fifth quarter, as the Italians say, uh, to minimise animal and environmental waste and for health. Uh, to make the most of offal. And those episodes were with Kate Wingett and Grant Hilliard of Feather and Bone and author of The Ethical Omnivore with Laura Dalrymple, episodes 18 and 19. A sliver of liver can and will really make a difference to your health and well-being. So episode on offal, uh, I've been a vegetarian on and off for about a decade. And yeah, just like Grant Hilliard's uh, feedback and like input on other options aside from just being straight vegetarian. Yeah, so prior to listening, I'd begun to consider diets focused more on limiting food waste in a variety of ways. So I was excited to learn more about how much of the animal carcass is nutritionally available to us. Um, At the same time, it became obvious how much stigma was still surrounding different cuts of meat and how difficult it is for industry professionals to make these awful cuts readily available for purchase for mass consumption. I was inspired to learn more about how we can vote with our dollar and encourage cuts like kidney and liver to become more commonplace in our butcheries, restaurants, and on our plates. I also found it interesting, as Grant Hilliard suggested, that he often recommended, especially to women, adding a small sliver of liver into your diet can be a more approachable addition than saying, than say, adding a whole steak. Episodes that I really enjoyed and learnt a lot from were ones all about farmer-led innovation. I spoke with Dr. Colin Chartres from the Crawford Fund and Dr. Daniel Walker from ASIA in episode 13 in a discussion that was all about a really forward-looking high-level workshop that they jointly held in March that was all about farmer-led science-based pathways to, to net zero emissions by 2050. One of Dan's key observations about the workshop was was his sense of uh, inspiration about the really high level of ambition and action that farming innovators and researchers are embracing and really delivering upon. A key message from Colin was that achieving an increase of just 0.4% of carbon in soils on top of current levels of about 1% could pretty much enable us to reach net zero emissions in the sector. 
It sounds small. It's a huge challenge. But with Will and Away, uh, it, it seems that it really is achievable. And doing so would create so many other benefits for soils and landscapes as well, including building greater resilience for future times of drought. And to hear more about drought and how climate change, science and information is driving really innovative new practices and plans in a large mixed broadacre agricultural operation in Western New South Wales, listen in to episode nine, my conversation with Richard Bootle of Bogan Farms near Ningen to hear about really inspiring things that he and his partner are doing to build economic and environmental resilience into their operations. Richard is also a big supporter of Farmers for Climate Action. In this episode, he puts out a fabulous call. He says that uh, farmers should be on the barricades about climate change at the next election. Slight frustration over that that we aren't leading carbon reduction. We are the canaries in the coal mine. It's hitting us first, and I find it I find it frustrating that 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 we aren't you know on the barricades as farmers, uh, and that, that our political representatives, that that a, a party which was the country party and that should be. A farmers' party is has been captured in some ways by the coal lobby um, and you know fossil fuel in general. And that's a view that many people who I've spoken with in season one reiterate in many and diverse ways. Not least of which the fabulous group of people I spoke with about Urban Agriculture Month and the Urban Agriculture Forum uh, that were both held in April. I spoke with uh, Dr. Nick Rose from Sustain, the Australian Food Network, Councillor Jess Miller from the City of Sydney, and Naomi Lacey, who is the President of Community. Gardens Australia. We had a great and rich conversation in an episode called Care Farming and Gardening in the Climate Emergency Urban Agriculture Month and Forum. And uh, I'm not even going to try to summarise that conversation. There were so many highlights and and, and key things to take home from it. But, um, you know, in a world where 70% of the world's population is going to be living in cities before we know it, it's just more and more important that uh, urban agriculture is a part of our food system in a big way for food, for mental health and for, for care farming, which is also a topic that comes up a lot in the last episode of the series, which was my great conversation with Phil Pettit from Community Greening uh, with the Royal Botanic Garden Sydney. That's a great program that is all about growing connection, community and food uh, through a program whose theme is people, plants and places. One of the key things is, as I mentioned, it's community first. So we work in that community development model where we empower people to, you know, build and, you know, own and design those gardens in, in any way they possibly can. It's heartwarming and uh, a change-making. It's, it's one of my favourite um, episodes. And Phil is a dear friend and colleague who I've worked with in very, on various projects over the years, including recently on Urban Agriculture Month events. Knowing your food's provenance or where your food comes from, the ethics and the how of how it was produced and processed, how far it's travelled, and building connections with and support for local and regional food producers is really a big part of a growing movement. Across the country, there's an incredible proliferation of local and regional food initiatives, events, projects and platforms, you know, ones like the Open Food Network out of Melbourne, which is just just a real source of innovation that provides a platform to directly enable people to connect with and buy direct from food producers. Another great example of a, of a platform that enables people to connect with local and regional food producers is Farmer Meets Foodie, a virtual farmer's marketplace that has been created by Erica Hughes in far north Queensland. That region covers the beautiful area from Cairns and stretches up to Port Douglas and out to Mareeba, the Atherton Tablelands and across the Gulf Country. It's a region that produces incredible tropical fruit and vegetables, native foods, beef and seafood. And with conventional supply and distribution chains, uh, 
it can mean that local produce, particularly fruit and veg, can often be transported south to city markets and back to local stores, travelling some 3,300 kilometres or more to end up back in a store 10 kilometres from where it's grown. That's just one of the highlights or really interesting facts from my conversation with Erica Hughes in episode 15. That's all about Farmer Meets Foodie and how she uh, went about creating this virtual platform and all the events and activities that she runs to connect local 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 consumers but also local food businesses and chefs to help them uh, source and make the most of fantastic produce that far north Queensland produces. Another great story that touches on extreme food miles up to 4,000 kilometres and over six weeks for a lettuce to perhaps reach remote community stores is my conversation with Scott McDonald who lives in Catherine in the Northern Territory and works with Food Ladder. My conversation with Scott shines a light on extreme weather, extreme heat and distances and food insecurity and it's all about the vital role that cutting edge, fit for people, place and purpose, protected agriculture systems or hydroponics can play in remote communities to help provide a secure, reliable supply of fresh food. And of course, everywhere it seems these days is subject to more extreme weather events and conditions. So protected agriculture uh, looks really set to grow in many contexts and scales wherever we live. Nourishing Matters includes shorter books and bites episodes, and I really enjoyed these conversations that share stories about inspiring people, projects, events, books, and other media that are helping shape a better tomorrow. In many ways, these episodes are really uh, stories from people who are part of or nurturing change communities in the spaces where they live and work. The first of these was with the wonderful Jade Miles, who with co-host Katie Payne creates and shares joy, wisdom and wit via their fabulous podcast, Future Setting, that they describe as a conversation about the future. How do you live your life like tomorrow matters? Like I'd spent months listening to people saying, this needs to be fixed, they need to change that, someone needs to do something about this. And really the reality is that that someone is us and it, it's no longer okay for us all to continue to point the fingers but do very little ourselves. We know better and um, humans are incredible people or incredible beings and it's kind of time for all of us to really take a really hard look at the way we exist and start to meet our ideals with our actions. In their early episodes, they describe future steading as a mix of homesteading, permaculture and regenerative existence, farming and thinking. It's all this and so much more. And Jade has uh, synthesised and recently shared her wonderful thinking in a really beautiful, warm and wisdom-packed book, Future Steading, Living Like Tomorrow Matters. If you haven't already, listen into Future Steading and look out for the book that will be in bookstores in August. Landcare groups do great work across Australia and it was a real pleasure to speak with Gemma Meyer about Catchment Keepers, a new program that Murrumbidgee Landcare have recently launched and have underway. That's all about supporting women who juggle many on and off farm roles to connect, learn and share practical knowledge and information and social support to help plan and grow on-farm natural resource management on their farms. It's uh, The program's running in the Murrumbidgee catchment, and that's a huge catchment that spans from the ACT to Hay in western New South Wales. Gemma is a dear friend, and she's also a member of the Food Swell team, and that is just one of the many change-making communities that she's involved with. And these include Landcare, the Gong Gong Earth Park, and the really innovative Haystack Solar Farm, a community renewable energy enterprise. Another great Books and Bites episode that I really enjoyed was with Mark Spencer. We live in climactic times, as he says, and Mark is the founder of 
Climactic, a network of climate-focused podcasts and podcasters that includes Nourishing Matters. I spoke with Mark particularly about Podcasters Declare, a great campaign that he and others uh, created and launched in time for World Earth Day, which was all about uh, making a call to Apple Podcasts to add a climate category to their platform. Sounds simple? doesn't it? But really, it was just a simple call to Apple to do their homework, to walk the talk by making it easy for people to find intersectoral climate stories simply by creating an easily searchable climate category to the Apple podcast platform. Watch this space. The campaign has had some great recognition. Uh, Apple's listening and it even got coverage in the New York Times. And finally, a little back to the beginning of how Nourishing Matters got underway, was my chat on Books and Bites with Nicole Aberdeen, the host of the wonderful podcast Books, 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 that features in-depth interviews with authors about their new books. Nick and I went on a road trip in March 2020 to the Scone Writers' Festival, just as COVID really kicked in. And that led both of us in various ways to want to tell and share stories via podcast. Nick and I chat about why writers write, how books nourish us, particularly in precarious times, and about some of the special authors and their books that she has spoken with recently that touch on many of the sorts of ideas we talk about in this podcast. We spoke about Claire Thomas's The Performance, James Bradley's Ghost Species, Rebecca Huntley's go-to non-fiction book, How to Talk About Climate Change, and an absolute favourite of mine, Animals Make Us Human, that is a jewel of a book compiled in response to the bushfires that includes 40 short pieces about animals by well-loved Australians and was edited by Leah Kaminsky and Meg Keneally. I love speaking with Nicole, as I have with each of the great people who have generously shared their time, knowledge and stories on Nourishing Matters. And I'm really looking forward to speaking with many of you again in Season 2 that we're currently working on. We'll be back with new episodes for Season 2 by August and we'll be sharing more stories about inspiring and change-making people, projects and research in tune with the sorts of issues and topics we've been talking about in the first 20 episodes. And we'll also be featuring more stories and ideas about new models and partnerships for greater land stewardship, land ownership and sharing, stories from innovative natural resource management and industry action from across our agricultural food and natural landscapes um, because they're stories that align with this year's NAIDOC Week theme, Be Your Country, and with the UN Decade of Action on Ecosystem Restoration that kicked off this year. I'm really looking forward to more conversations with First Nations youth and other leaders, including Chris Teesfield, and to speaking again with Matthew Evans and with his partner Sadie about Matthew his wonderful new book, Soil, The Incredible Story of What Keeps the Earth and Us Healthy. There'll be stories about honey and amazing healing research underway in that space, led by Professor Liz Harry, Mary Urban Living Labs and Urban Agriculture from Western Sydney, and a whole lot more, including, I hope, some great stories from Broadacre farmers, researchers and industry groups. I hope you've enjoyed this quick scan and review across the first 20 episodes, and I really hope you'll listen back in and enjoy season two. And perhaps you might like to listen back to some of the episodes that I've chatted about in this episode. I'm always keen to hear your feedback, ideas and suggestions. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can always email me directly at foodswell one at gmail.com or leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you'd like to give us a hand to keep on doing what we do, you might like to buy us a coffee or donate via GiveNow. You can do that by going to givenow.com.au backslash nourishing. But more than anything, we value your support by continuing to listen in and helping us spread the word about Nourishing Matters by sharing it with your friends, family and colleagues. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. I hope this conversation offered some nourishing food for thought. To listen to more episodes of Nourishing Matters to Chew On, head to Foodswell's podcast page at foodswell.org.au backslash nourishing or you can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google 
or wherever you get your podcasts. And stay in touch via Instagram at Nourishing Matters or Foodswell Australia. As this is a new podcast, we'd really value your support. So please give us a rating or review in your favourite podcast app so other people can find us too. Nourishing Matters to Chew On is proud to be on the Climactic Network of Podcasts and part of a collective of podcasters dedicated to inspiring positive action around climate change. Check out the other great podcasts on the Climactic Network at www.climactic.fm.